God save the Queen, my son. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Queen's Speech. My name is Clive Simpson, and I'm here with... Your trusty sidekick, Luton Lil, otherwise known as Dennis Kavanagh. Absolutely. Mm. And this is the podcast where two old chutney ferrets <laughs> talk about the impact of gender ideology <laughs> on same-sex attracted people. Mm. So that's lesbians, gays, and whenever there's an R in the month, bisexuals. <laughs> and today we have a number of things that we are going to talk about because it seems to me, Mr. Dennis, mm that the wheels are coming off the gender jalopy at a massive rate of knots. Yeah. So many things have happened in the past week that lead me to conclude that this particular vehicle won't be roadworthy anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Yes, marvellous. So that's why I've entitled this episode, The Wheels Are Coming Off the Clown Car. <laughs> So, but before we go on to that, we've got a couple of quick items to cover. First of all, last week, I believe it was, we spoke about uh, Laura Pascal, mm -hmm. who was Labour candidate for a post in the Casanova by-election, Casanova ward by-election. This is the uh, loc as a local election to the ward of Casanova. Nearly said Kavanaugh there. The ward, <laughs> the Casanova ward, which is in sort of the Stoke Newington area. Yeah. She was, uh, if you remember from last week, she was suspended by the Labour Party for, uh, in inverted commas, transphobia, because she said some things that people didn't like. Or actually, she didn't say anything. She liked some tweets. So the like police came down on her like a sack of spuds, and um, she was suspended. Yeah, the whole campaign was suspended. And then mm. they wondered why they lost. It's like, well, well that's no, right. no one was knocking doors for Laura. And it wasn't just liking a tweet. Laura also committed the very grave offense of wearing a suffragette scarf. And um, lots of chaps with, you know, the sort of beardy woke bro pronouns in beard brigade. They got very angry. Mm -hmm. They were aided and abetted by... Um, Hackney Unison, who really covered themselves in glory on this election. He just went mad at Laura. Um, and yeah, then she had to release that hostage statement, didn't she? Did you see that? I did see that, where she she um, apologised from the depth of her handbag for any offence she might have caused. She was obviously she was obviously dragooned into that, so uh, that's mm. not a surprise that she released that statement. But as you say, Dennis, and I was actually building up to this, so you ruined my punchline. But never mind. Sorry, it stepped on my lines. She <laughs> she lost. She lost, and not only did she lose. She lost to a conservative. So yeah. the new head of the council, or the new head of Casanova, whatever these local election posts are called, I can't remember, um, is a Tory. Yeah. Lib, Lib Dems, Greens, chucked to the back of the queue. Yeah, that's, that's right. And then... All the um, beardy woke bros and, and Ash Sakar, um, you know, genius political analysis, uh -huh, all, all, yeah. all got on social media to say, ah, this is what happens if you have a transphobe in. Now, for that analysis to be correct, right, all the blue haired, mad 
gender Borg types, um, they would have to have switched from Labour to the Conservatives on the basis of transphobia, which I don't oh, think makes sense when one considers what the Prime Minister said at Conservative Party conference, and I quote, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, you can't change sex, I'm sorry, but that's that's just how it is. So, yes. <laughs> you know, it's not very convincing analysis, that, is it? <laughs> no. In other circumstances, these people would be quoting... Uh, the horrific transphobia of Rishi Sunak, as revealed by Pink News. <laughs> always, always on top of the stories that matter. Um, the stories that matter. Good, good old Laura, though, in an act of defiance shortly after the hostage statement and before the election, updated her Twitter bio quite defiantly um, to say, you know, proudly gender critical, something like that. So the light hasn't gone out in her. And um, shout out to you, Laura. You had one hand tied behind your back. No one was campaigning for you because this lot were, you know, far more interested in cancelling a woman, which is their favourite thing to do. Uh Um, You will no doubt have a great future in the party when it finally comes to its senses. I'm sure you'll be a councillor and the result is no reflection on you. And I wish you the best because and it's wonderful to see some sensible people in the Labour Party. Yes. I think, as you said, in um, in a, an exchange we had over WhatsApp, I think it was, uh, mm. geo, geopolitical events are more likely to have had sway than any accusation of transphobia, because there's quite yes. a high Jewish population in Casanova yeah. Ward. In fact, my friend used to live in Casanova Road, which I believe yeah. is in the heart mm. of Casanova. Cav- 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 <laughs> Casanova Ward. <laughs> Casanova Ward, and um, yeah. yeah, there was it was you know there are lots of Orthodox Jewish uh, people living in that road, um, so it's possible that geopolitical events and the fact that the Labour Party and its members have had Palestinian flags all over the uh, all over the place recently yeah. that may have had a bit more of an effect, but it is um, a, not a victory for the TRAs, let's put it that way, because Mm. a party that they usually label as horrifically transphobic got in instead. So that's, that's, uh, that's another lose, I think, for their side. Now, yeah. t- talking about hostage statements, we also had Davina McCall, who, a uh, <laughs> popular television presenter, uh, yeah. used to present Big Brother. She also does Long Lost Family, and um, she's also she started to do um, Your Mum, My Dad, that dating show for um, uh, widowers and widows, I think it is, or divorcees to get together. Yeah. Um, and she has also spoken quite extensively about the menopause and the lack of menopause care for menopausal women. Mm. Of course, this got her into trouble with the TRAs because, of course, she didn't mention that trans, in inverted commas, men also become menopausal. And so <laughs> she had to release a statement asking for uh, trans men to contact her and uh, tell her about their menopausal experiences. Well, good luck with that, uh, Davina, because from what I can see, most trans men are 
within their early 20s and won't have any menopausal experience. Ah, that's not quite correct because one of the effects of testosterone, Glenna talks about this quite a lot, is okay. that it, br- it brings on the menopause early. Yes, so you're right. as, as a result of ingesting synthetic t- t- testosterone, there will be plenty of trans men who can tell you about the the men, men telling you about the menopause. This is also mad. Every now and then I just have yeah. to stop myself. No, I know. Women, women who are putting testosterone into their body can tell you, Dennis, that they go through the menopause sometimes in their 20s, Clive, would you believe it? Well, yes. But if that's true, that's very different from a woman who is in her 50s yeah. or, you know, even early 40s sometimes going through the menopause. Very different experiences. So... There may be some value in capturing those experiences, but yet again, this is the trans lobby trying to erase uh, the definition of sex. Yes. To my mind. And it's also somebody, a woman in public life, being, as far as I can, as far as I can see, being bullied into saying something. Yeah, being told what to say again, isn't it? I mean, Davina, they've been going for Davina for a while because she dipped her toe in this some time ago, Clive. I don't know if you remember, but there was, she put out a very balanced tweet, something along the lines of, we shouldn't cancel people, we should listen to all sides of, of a debate. And it was quite coded, but she was obviously talking about gender. And they've been after her ever since she said that. I think, I think the gender borg are convinced that Davina is a secret turf. Um, now, Dr. Pam, I don't know if you remember Dr. Pam. She's great. She's on Twitter. I've actually met her, and she's she's great fun. She's an American lady, and um, she's a psychiatrist, psychologist, but she used to be the person on Big Brother who they'd interview. Ah, and, yes. Yeah, and she'd tell you what was going through the contestant's head and that sort of thing. And um, she's great. She's really interesting. She had, she's got a wonderful article this week in Spiked on parenting by the way. Okay. Um, oh, as have, and I've got a wonderful article in Spike this week, um, slagging off Keir Starmer if anyone's bored. That's quite, you know, might you might enjoy that. Anyway, um, Dr. <laughs> Pam said um, something measured and, um, you know, saying to Davina she shouldn't give in to these people or something like that. And Davina blocked Dr. Pam. And that oh. led to me defending Dr. Pam. And I got blocked by Davina. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what happens on social media. <laughs> I think that Davina McCall's um, Twitter timeline may be handed over occasionally to um, an intern. Sure. sure and that's, that's what's happened. And that's what's happened as a result. It's just so, yeah. it's so tiresome. And it will all look yeah. so, so silly in pretty short order i think uh there was another Mm. thing we were going to talk about oh yes and this week you went to the house of commons with a couple of gc reprobates to talk about the um private conversion therapy bill private members bill 
That's right. There's two private members' bills. One one is in the Lords, and it's going to be debated on February the 9th, uh, at what's called its second reading, so the first proper debate about it in the Lords. Um, that's being moved by Baroness, sorry, Lady Burt, who's a Liberal Democrat. Uh, we wrote to her as Gay Men's Network, and um, she didn't even acknowledge <laughs> our letter or reply. She's just ignoring us. Um, and then there's another one that's going to be introduced in the Commons by Lloyd Russell Moyle. And um, yeah, we had a really good event. We had Malcolm Clark, Dr. Az Hakim, um, Hassan Mandami from Gay Men's Network, and Stonewall founder, but a sensible one, um, Simon Fanshaw. So yeah, I met up with Mr. Menno. Me and Mr. Menno went and sat in the audience and we had a really good event. And I, we've raised some um, consciousness about it and we're, we're doing a little mail shot about it. And I do think that people are beginning, particularly with, you remember last week we talked about the problems in Scotland, Clive. I think that is, that's actually quite useful. People are beginning to think to themselves, hang on a minute, all these gay men and lesbians who have a problem with this bill, maybe, maybe some of some of them have a point. Um, So it it feels Hmm. like there's some progress on this. So yeah, it was a really good, really good event. I'm really glad we did it. And I want to do more of these these sorts of things. Um, We're we're looking at going up to Holyrood to launch the Gay Men's Network um, response to their conversion therapy bill, which at the moment looks like it's going to be about you know something like 50 pages long i must cut it down a bit actually but um mm-hmm. but yeah it does feel like a bit of a bit of momentum at the moment i think i think you know as you were saying the wheels are coming off i, th- I think i think people are yeah, beginning it's... to see some of the points that we're raising thank god it's only it's only taken us working day and night for a couple of years and being well, yes. cancelled called bigots yes <laughs> yes i think you said that mr russell moyle also showed up he did. He did. He attended. Yeah, he attended. He listened. He took notes. And, you know, I, I suppose I can't really ask for more than that. Um, yeah. That's good. It's good. I very much hope he's listened. In particular, you know, as Hakim was, was particularly uh, good, I think, on outlining some of the clinical problems, which, of course, he's discussed with us on this podcast. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well... It's all been a bit of an active week for uh, the GC side. Yeah. And uh, the, as you say, Dennis, um, our efforts are not going unrewarded because things seem to be uh, falling apart quite rapidly. So we're going to move on to a story about the SNP's conversion therapy ban. Yes, and I, I tell you what, though, Clive. Before we do that, could I just very briefly mention something? Because we're oh, at the yes, start of the ahead. show, and I just wanted to do a shout out to Fair Play for Women um, because we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week. Um, but it, they've produced a report called "How Inclusion in Sport Is Harming Women and Girls." It is a fantastic report that combines both hard data with personal testimony. There's pretty heartbreaking stuff in it, like you know, a woman who who just enjoyed a swim, like not not competitive, anything like that. It was just her exercise, and they changed the women's the local women's changing room to be trans inclusive. And as you know, you can guess what happened next. Mm-hmm. This is the, the local perverts with their willies out, um, and she just doesn't she just doesn't go anymore. She's just completely self excluded, and. 
which which in my view is is criminal. Um, and anyway, fair play for women. You can find this report, by the way, at um, www or one word fairplayforwomen.com have produced a really, really, really professional, impressive report. I mean, the kind of standard that you could send to MPs or to you know uh, third sector agencies. And I just wanted to shout out their very hard work on this um, and and recommend that report to people, particularly if you're interested in the sporting issue. Everyone's doing reports at the moment. I'm, I'm conscious I'm shouting out Fair Play for Women. Sex Matters have been very active lately and had some fantastic reports. So mm. it's good. We've all been a bit hyperactive lately, which yes. I like. I think um, Sex Matters have put out a report about women's services, haven't they? And how they are affected by um, trans inclusion. So we'll put links to both of those things in the show notes if you want to follow those up. Yeah. Now, uh, yes, thanks for reminding me of that. Before we go on to talk about the SNP and their conversion therapy ban. A couple of... um, a couple of uh, stories appeared in the Tory graph this week, hmm. which seem to indicate that the SNP is in a bit of an uproar yeah. about this, because these the, the these uh, SNP I don't know what we call them yet, but maybe they're rebels are saying that the controversial legislation will hmm. is not a good strategic move in the middle of an election year because what's come to light or really rather what's what's coming to light through their consultation is that a lot of people are worried that amongst other things this is going to criminalize parents yeah well yes well one of the provisions in the act is about suppressing gender identity or sexual orientation and various SNP uh, bods who've been active on Twitter pushing for this conversion therapy ban have been asked questions like, what if a parent refuses to purchase a binder for their daughter who claims a trans identity? Will they be criminalized by this under the ground on the grounds that they're suppressing her gender identity? Yeah. Um, to me, that's a perfectly reasonable question. If you're going to be putting in uh, suppression of gender identity as a conversion therapy practice, what does that mean? And I think yeah, I mean, it, it could easily mean saying to your child, you're not trans, you're just autistic. And no, I will not let you wear that binder. Because if you examine the offence, there has to be a coercive conversion practice. So coercion is widely defined, and that includes something that affects a day-to-day activity, right? Or controlling, in the word of the statute, um, or proposed statute, day-to-day activity. Well, wearing a binder every day is a day-to-day activity. So that coercion tick. Then it's an action that suppresses a gender identity. Suppression is so widely defined. You could see a theme here, can't you? Mm-hmm. Um, it includes it includes something the consultation calls a quote directed conversation. Well, if I direct you not to wear a binder, tick. Then you have the question of harm. You, your conversion practice has to cause harm. Harm in the act is defined to the lowest standard it possibly can be um, in criminal law, and it includes distress. So if the child goes to school and says they are distressed, yeah, 
And the act requires a course of conduct. This is the final tick. So you have to do that twice. You have to say to your child twice. Can't just be one occasion that this is the case. So most parents are going to end up having, you know, conversations more than once with their kids about this sort of thing, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, you'd be, you could be staring down the wrong end of um, seven years imprisonment. And then when you get to trial... And you say to the judge, I do not believe in gender identity. The judge will say, well, I'm sorry. There's an act from Holyrood that says you have to. Mm, yes. I mean, it's which is it's the mandated belief part of this, which is very disturbing. It's saying that you have to believe gender identity exists. And then, yeah. of course, if you try and tie down these people as to what they mean by gender identity, you end <laughs> up with useless circular definitions like gender identity is the gender you identify with yeah or an internal experience of gender so it being internal it means no one can test it so uh here's some problems for you um how do i prove someone's lying about having a gender identity it's Mm. unfalsifiable that is extraordinary in a criminal offense for the prosecution to adduce evidence of something that's unfalsifiable it's just it's mad and it's mad to say to a defendant you have to believe in gender identity it is no defense for you to stand here and say i think this is all hogwash and i want to call helen joyce um that it is an absolute breach of the article six right to a fair trial and no one thought this through what are they going to do if they get a note from the jury that says we're gender critical we don't believe in gender identity what's the judge going to do discharge the jury or well, say, I'm sorry, you have to believe in this. This is just amateur hour bullshit. Sorry, forgive my language, but it's well, it seems it dangerous. strikes me. It strikes me very much as a kind of um, blasphemy law. Yeah, quite. It's exactly what it is. So, uh, some uh, some uh, SNP MSPs are quoted in this article. Um, mm. Off, it must be you know anonymously, presumably because uh, yeah, well, off the record. It, yeah. So an SNP MP said, MSP rather, said, I'm surprised that this legislation is still being progressed given this is a general election year and people's focus will be on what is most important to them, such as energy costs, the cost of living crisis and jobs. I'm keeping an open mind until I see more detail, but it strikes me that this legislation will be extraordinarily complex. It's not yet even clear what a definition of conversion therapy is in the context of gender identity related to biological sex. Yeah. She, I, I'm hearing rumours, Clive, an SNP rebellion amongst MSPs. I think the number was put at 15, something like that. Which doesn't sound very much, but it's quite a lot in terms of the the Scottish Parliament. Mm. Well, Fergus Ewing, a former SNP cabinet minister, has gone on the record to say that he had not come across any parents who were happy about the prospect of some third party having power, unclear and unspecified power at that, over their own children. Yeah. And lots of people, lots of people making links between this and the named person. Um, proposal that uh, yeah. failed. Yeah, it's the Scottish government yet again sticking the nose of the state between mm-hmm. parent and child. And and I wrote a thread about this earlier in the week, Clive, because the harm requirements are so low, and because it's so easy to commit this offence. There is a, a more general question here as to the sexual orientation part. You know, as I think I said last week, what are you going to do with little Mohammed? 
when mum and dad repeat what they learn at the mosque about homosexuality being a sin and all of that are you are you going to really bang his parents up for seven years for repeating articles of their faith what does that do to muhammad is, is he ever going to reconcile with his parents or is he just going to be in a situation where he can't say anything to anyone because he's so worried about his mum and dad getting prosecuted. And, yeah. well, and, yeah. as, and as I've argued before, if mum and dad catch wind of this and they find out Mohammed is gay, what what's to stop them saying, I'm not going to risk arrest? Um, let's just kick him out, cut him off. Like I, w I do wish these people would actually speak to gay people, gay, gay men and lesbians, because we know about this, right? We know about this. We know people where... The parents never come around or where they've taken 10 20 30 years to come around it does happen and mm. i'm not sure banging them up for seven years really helps that process no i don't um a week after that story came out there was another story which said that uh, snp ministers might water down their conversion therapy ban after the prospect of parents being jailed for refusing to allow their child to change gender uh, sparked a bit of a rebellion within the party. Mm. The the real concern, it seems, from members of the SNP and from SNP MSPs and possibly SNP MPs, we don't know, is yeah. that the this will have a negative impact on parental rights. So a consultation that they published um, also fed into this idea that perhaps they need to water down uh, some of the proposals. A spokesman for the mm. Scottish government said it had never been the intention to criminalise day-to-day parental controls and they didn't rule out that the parent-child relationship would be exempted entirely from the scope of the legislation. It, which rather leaves the question, what is a gender identity conversion practice, please? Because if there's some unconvincing clinical carve-outs, the SNP reckon they won't prosecute doctors, but then later on in the consultation they say, oh, actually, exploratory therapy could be a criminal offence. So I don't find that convincing. But imagine that I did. If there is a clinical carve-out and a parental carve-out, please tell me what on earth gender identity conversion therapy is. Because... As Malcolm Clark has pointed out in, in a thread on this, there is no evidence. One, no one knows what the hell they're even talking about. What is this supposed to be? Two, there is no evidence that this is going on. This is, and, and what evidence there is, is sort of evidence, instead of evidence-based policy, it's policy-based evidence. You know, they've gone out and relied on a, a, a hokey survey which full of self-selecting people where they didn't define what conversion therapy was. They came up with a figure 7% of people have faced it. When you break that down, it turns out it's not correct. It includes people who've been offered it and refused it. There's no definition of what offering means. This is just the tail wagging the dog. And as we've opined before, the real strategy here for trans activists, and it is a wicked, evil strategy, is to take the painful history of conversion therapy to exploit it and then use it as a stick to beat doctors with who do not trans away the gay. This, this is, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a bill that causes the exact problem it claims to solve. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And we've talked about this many times before, but conversion therapy is not offered on the NHS. 
It's not something you can get through the NHS. So what are we talking about? We're maybe talking about religious conversion therapy. And that is something that happens within specific communities, which I suspect the SNP government would be loath to upset. Yeah. Let's be honest about this. You you know, there's no Church of England, you know, some little liberal Church of England vicar in some Somerset village offering conversion therapy. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's no Catholic church in, uh, you know, Glasgow that's offering uh, the kind of uh, coercive, uh, punitive, religious conversion therapy that some evangelical churches are offering it's yeah. a nonsense it's a but nonsense it's, it's a it's a it's legislation it's legislation as i've said before it's legislating for a problem that doesn't really exist yeah and also i just think insofar as preaching or teaching is concerned i just really do not think that the snp as the state have any role going into a mosque or a temple or a church and telling people what to think i just think that is a grotesque overreach and i do not see how it is consistent with the right to freedom of conscience mm, yeah i agree i agree and then it's also what about adults who come to a decision that they don't want to be gay anymore. Now, I would because it conflicts with their religious faith. Now, I would argue that the problem there is their um, lack of acceptance of their sexual orientation, and that's what needs to be addressed. Yeah. And they'd be best off talking to someone who can tell them how or advise them how they might reconcile their sexual orientation with their faith. Yeah, but if they are if you're a grown adult, 40 year old bloke, and you decide that you want to, you know, become ex gay. Yeah, much as that's a lie. Yeah. Why should the state step in and stop you from exercising your freedom in that way? I yeah. don't like conversion therapy of that kind at all. I'm not yeah. saying that. But what I'm saying is, is if adults are wanting this, who am I to stop them from doing so? Yeah, I, I I agree with you, um, and I, I agree with all the above. I don't I don't want anyone doing that. It's not going to make them happy. It's not going to work. It's a pretty miserable thing to do in your life. But should the state in, uh, intervene and and stop you? I, th mm -hmm. I think that's a very very big step for the state to take, and and it is effectively saying there are some parts of this religion that the state has now ruled. Um, are inoperative. So the state mm -hmm. is now editing scripture, catechism, doctrine. That's mm -hmm. that's not where the state should be. That's a very, very, very dangerous precedent for the state to start doing that. Yes. Well, we shall see how that turns out. I yeah. strongly suspect that, as has happened with our own government, they might decide to kick it into the long grass after the consultation yeah. comes back. 
I think you're right. And I've heard a rumour that what they're going to do is exactly that. Wait for uh, Labour, who everyone is just on the, working on the basis Labour are going to win the next election. But apparently that's the calculus, that Humza will wait for Labour to win the election and then say, right, you guys pass something in the Commons. Because, you know, it's classic SNP, isn't it? They've, they've gone in all guns blazing, as they did with gender reform. they any, anyone who's raised any problems has been called a bigot. There's some awful green person called Blair who you just can't engage with on, on social no, media. And if, no. you, if you try to say anything, you get called a transphobe, homophobe, bigot, da 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 They've tried that this time around, but I think they've got their fingers burnt a little bit because the whole of Scotland is now wise to their gender nonsense and the pushback has been marked. And I think the SNP are learning the hard way there is a very good reason why Kemi Badenoch, for example, is closely looking at how workable this legislation actually might be, um, mm-hmm. because she's yeah. actually she's actually a competent politician. Whether you agree with her or not, she's actually quite good at governing. Whereas the SNP just are total amateur hour. Yes, they are, and you'd have thought that the failure of the GRR would have caused some wiser heads to prevail, but apparently not. Um, I understand that the SNP may be forced to pay back some of the government's costs um, with their their two appeals, which could amount to something like £150,000, which is a bit of a raid on their electoral, um, you know, fighting fund. No, no, no. It'll come from the Scots government. It won't come from oh, SNP okay. party, party okay. funds. It'll be the Scottish taxpayer that they've, that they've wasted the money off, Clive. Mm. I'm sure loads of people are going to be absolutely overjoyed about that, aren't they? Yeah. And, of course, the COVID inquiry uh, rattles on, and uh, Nicola Sturgeon has been dragged into that. And um, it turns out that she's deleted all her WhatsApp messages... <laughs> As you do. Discussions with other people, ministers, blah, blah, scientific advisors, all of it has gone in the memory hole. So the SNP are looking fairly discredited at the moment. I mean, it's a bit bit like when Rebecca Vardy lost her phone in the North Sea, isn't it? At the moment. It's got that level, it's got that feel to it as a case. Yeah, somebody suggested that perhaps her phone fell down the back of the sofa in the luxury (laughs) camper van. The famous camper van, yeah. It was parked outside her mother-in-law's house for two years. Do you remember when they dug up her garden? I suppose it's an ongoing investigation, so we probably shouldn't say too much. But, God, I'd forgotten that happened. That was, mm. an, that was an extraordinary detail of the case, wasn't yep. it? Yeah, there were those murder tents all over us. <laughs> you did begin to think, as she as she finally flipped and done Alex Salmonen or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Locate Alex Salmon. Yeah. Someone, someone give him a ring. Just check he's all right. Yeah, see which cell tower is put his phone pinged off. Oh, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Ruth Davidson for a while. Is she okay? You know? Oh my god! Sturgeon's finally snapped and done it. Oh my god! I mean, the, uh, there's a serious point though. Is that serious amounts of money have been wasted on this bullshit, and they're yeah. look, they're looking intent on doing the same again. How, yep. how on earth do they think that this is going to go down in an election year when, as uh, that SNP MSP said, people's concerns are going to be in other areas? 
Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> absolutely. That Blair person you talked about on Twitter, he told uh, his uh, followers that thousands of people had suffered conversion therapy. Oh, yeah. Um, well, if that were the case, Blair, <laughs> why haven't you been able to to uh, dig up one of them? <laughs> yeah. Where are they all? Why are they all silent? Uh, these people are so dangerous. They're I think just... one, of, one, of the, one of the cases that they give as evidence that conversion therapy exists is some bloke, he was a member of some evangelical church type thing, and um, he let slip in an email to members that he was gay. Yeah. And uh, he was offered by his pastor to come in and uh, do some pray away the gay stuff. How did he um, let that slip? What did he say? I'm off to a Diana Russ concert, so <laughs> I, I can't. Oh, I see Kylie tickets are half price. So. <laughs> I've got two tickets for Barbara Streisand. Any, <laughs> anyone want to come? Or maybe anyone, I don't know. Anyone want to come and buy soft furnishings with me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're being terribly homophobic and stereotypical here, aren't we? But you do have to wonder how you let that slip. I don't let that slip in emails. <laughs> Stereotypes exist for a reason, Dennis, yeah, and you know it as yeah, well yeah, as yeah. I do. <laughs> I, I speak as a man who has an extensive collection of Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. So, <laughs> you know. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he signed off with, yes, Gaga, yes. <laughs> <laughs> your, your fellow, yes, in, your fellow in Christ, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote the whole email in like RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> lingo. You know, Work. hey, hunty. Work, uh, mama. Work it, queen. <laughs> and the pastor at the other end is just reading, horrified. Oh my God, we've got one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he was he was offered this uh, conversion therapy practice thing. And uh, he oh, declined. Yeah. He declined. That was the end of it. Right. Oh, oh my so god! So it's an email exchange then, <laughs> basically, <laughs> which wouldn't even be caught by this act. <laughs> <laughs> but this is solid gold evidence that thousands are suffering from these torturous, barbaric practices. Millions, millions, Clive. Millions Million. of the whole population of Scotland's had electrodes <laughs> on the. They're knackers, or at least the males have. Yeah, I mean, go, these people are not serious. Not They're serious, just, no. They are ludicrous. Ludicrous. Are ludicrous yeah. Now, you know who else is ludicrous? Dennis? Yes, the CEO of the Edinburgh Rape Shelter. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, we, 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 yeah. we, uh, we will um, not cover that story today, I don't think, because okay. uh, there are lots of women covering that story, and it is a, a women's story primarily. Um, okay. And uh, I have I, a few things to say about it, though. So maybe at the end of the tribunal, we can we can have yes, a look at there, that. Yeah, it, it might be good to to leave that till the end of the tribunal. I think um, so. Yeah, because there but, is some uh, quite spicy stuff happening with people's evidence being compared with their Twitter accounts. So we probably yes. should keep our counsel on that, I suppose, for the time being. Well, yes, yes. He's a ridiculous individual. The Edinburgh Rape Crisis Centre is a ridiculous institution under his uh, guidance. But I was thinking more of the uh, non-binary American who tried to get his non-binary gender recognised in the UK. Oh, that chap, yes. Ryan Castellucci, a non-binary Californian cybersecurity expert, 
brought a legal challenge over the way their change of their change of legal gender had been recognised by British authorities. Um, <laughs> the High Court in London heard the case and said, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, because there is a Supreme Court authority on the subject. Yes. Don't, you, don't know if you remember old Freddie and all of those, you know, Freddie from The Guardian. And then there was, do you remember the non-binary woman, Clive, and she looked like Nosferatu? She was, the, <laughs> she was the Supreme Court case. And when they ruled against her, she just looked like a really miserable put-out vampire. <laughs> she looked like a wet Wednesday. She's upset. So there's a clear supreme court authority against him right mm -hmm. and um also more generally the submission um i would like you to follow californian law in england and wales is is not what i would describe as a strong submission and that was basically mm -hmm. his argument yeah. <laughs> well lady justice elizabeth lang and mrs justice heather williams dismissed <laughs> yeah. his legal challenge it was against kemi badenoch yeah. and the gender recognition pa uh, panel saying we have decided that whenever the gender recognition act refers to gender it refers to a binary concept that is to male or to female gender yep so he lost yeah and in the process made himself look a little bit silly <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> meanwhile we've got a massive court backlog um, I mean, to be fair to him, in order to bring this case, he would have, have to have passed the permission stage of judicial review, which requires a case to be arguable. So someone in the High Court th thought this was arguable. I'm not, I find it difficult to understand how they came to that conclusion, but, th but there we are. But it does occur to me, you know, we do have other cases with sort of less pointless, narcissistic, greasy-haired blokes to come <laughs> wang on about their Californian non-binary. I, I, I forgot, these people are ludicrous. Uh, just on the subject of non-binary, there's a quite fantastic article by Julie Birchall in this week's Spiked. Oh, on, yes, yes. Uh, the subject is really funny. It is up there with her uh, Munro Bergdorf smackdown. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well because that's uh, it's marvelous. It's Julie Bircher at her blistering best. Oh, she's funny. She's, <laughs> she's so very funny. funny. Very the point funny. about how boring these people are like gender bending for them is a bit of a, a glum chore. And she goes through a couple of Hollywood celebs. He just, it's a bit like that uh, Ellen Elliot Page character who just always looks miserable he always looks like a victorian chimney sweep you know it's just like <laughs> malnourished and yeah. if just just come out of a workhouse like if you're read if you were redoing all of a twist now actually people oh, should be he, right she, up he, should be, be right up for that it. role yeah can i have some more looks sir? like a looks like a malnourished victorian child suffering from clinical depression be perfect <laughs> for the role <laughs> Sorry, is Where <laughs> is love? Is it in the skies above? Oh, that's beautiful, Clive. I think you should be in it as well. Yes, Mr. Bumble, boy for sale. <laughs> God, okay. Anyway. It's all right. Well, anyway. sort of a boy. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> thinks he's a boy. I know, Elliot's yeah. been busy radiating trans joy. <laughs> Haven't you been watching Pink News? Haven't you been reading their stories about how much trans joy Elliot Page radiates in his shirtless selfies and his first no. first big boys I... swimming trunks? <laughs> no, I do not. 
I do. I do not read the prose molesting gender monkeys at Pink News. I leave that to you. I try to avoid these people, much as I try to avoid that that woman, um, Rowan Amanda Jette Knox, that Menno so beautifully dismantled. Um, oh well, she's is, she's, she's been mad. busy crying about her eyebrows this week. Uh, they just aren't did, thick did and you, manly you, enough. No, they're not. That's because you're a woman, love. Um, did you see that? The, the, what was it she said? She said, "Oh, people are saying to me, being a man is about tolerating pain, but I know I'm a man because I've given birth to three kids." It's like, can you just listen to yourself for a moment, right? It's like, it's Who is telling you this? Who's writing this? It's just like that's not. Is she just trolling us? She might just be trolling us. I, I God only knows. Um, yeah. I mean, man flu is a concept for a reason. Yeah, that's so true. Men so are true. wimps. Men, <laughs> I aren't, aren't we? Men yeah, have yeah. got, actually, I remember reading somewhere that men have got more nerve endings uh, than women close to the skin. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're actually a bit more sensitive to pain. Amanda. Yeah, yeah Amanda. <laughs> Yeah, Amanda, be a man. Yeah, I certainly fancy you wouldn't giving birth. God, I can't imagine that. Well, you could squeeze, squeeze a baby out of your bell end, and uh, Dennis. I, so. I don't think I could. I have many talents, <laughs> um, but that is not in my repertoire. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, God. to more serious matters, though. You Actually, know, sorry, before we leave this subject, just because there is a related story, I just want to briefly mention. Um, I, I, I don't know if you saw Teen Vogue this week. They were celebrating um, an actress who I understand is twenty-seven years of age. But but looks very very much younger. Yes, yes. Uh, and and she's had a double mastectomy, an unnecessary double mastectomy. And um, mm-hmm. Teen Vogue yep. not only not only put her on the cover as an example to impressionable girls who probably don't like their bodies very much because that's what being a teenager is, whether you're a boy or a girl. And I think it's probably heightened for girls, frankly. Um, what, some idiot from Teen Vogue then crowed about this and said, it's bringing out all the transphobes and I'm, I'm pleased we're getting so many clicks. It's like, yeah, well done. You, you, you've monetized an unnecessary, radical, brutal double mistake to me on someone who will probably detest you one day. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was an extra- extraordinarily reckless. Um, yeah. I mean, but then again, as, as several women pointed out to me, they said, Dennis, you know, t- t- 10 years ago, they were doing this with anorexia, which I dimly remember. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've certainly spoken to women who are like, that's, you know, I keep that magazine away from my daughters as much as I possibly can. Well, it's online now. It's only online as a digital publication. So it's oh, just okay. another toxic influence on like, teenage girls. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. That's just what we need, isn't it? Yeah. I think I think it was yes, it was Teen Vogue that produced a cheery little guide to uh, anal sex for God. um yeah. prostate owners and non-prostate owners. Right. <sighs> Great. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I don't know who reads Teen Vogue, but um, it was kind of in the same vein as Seventeen magazine. So you can guarantee that a lot of the girls that are reading it are about 13, 14. Yeah. Great. You know, prime uh, ROGD material. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, anyway. 
two other matters we're talking about now the uh, who world health organization uh trans guidance yes now we covered this a couple of weeks ago maybe even last week i can't remember but um they are issuing these uh transgender healthcare guidance and the gender guideline development group has come into some difficulties, not least because mm. they've had to silently shelve one of the members of the uh, guideline development group, which was an activist called uh, Florence Ashley, who is a uh, trans-identified male who describes... Or bloke, as I call him. Yeah. <laughs> Florence is a bloke. It won't surprise anyone to hear. Sorry, Clive, no, no. Florence was initially a gender-neutral name. And in fact, hundreds oh, of years really? ago, yep, hundreds of years ago, it was more common as a boy's name than a girl's name. I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that either, but I looked it up. And uh, well, mm. my, my nan on my mum's side was called Florence, so I really don't like that men are taking my nan's name. Anyway, yeah. this one, Florence Ashley, describes himself as a trans-feminine trans jurist and bioethicist whose work focuses on trans issues in the legal um, and healthcare systems. Leo Sapir, yeah. Leo Sapir on Twitter uh, reported that he had been um, removed from this uh, guideline development uh, group because of his yes. radical, radical views. And uh, we've got an example uh, of his radical views from an article he wrote entitled, Do Gender Assessments Prevent Regret in Transgender Healthcare? A Narrative Review. So right. what he's arguing about there. He's arguing against exploratory therapy. Of course he is. Of course he is. There's he nothing, says, he says, quote, the article concludes that there is no evidence that gender assessments can reliably predict or prevent regret better than self-reported gender identity and embodiment goals. Oh, this great. We'll just accept everyone's self-diagnosis then, shall we, and ignore their autism. What an idiot. Yeah, this conclusion provides additional support for informed consent models of care, which de-emphasize gender assessments in favor of supporting patient decision-making. Well, Lunatic. he's gone now. He believes in conversion therapy bans, citing some dodgy statistics as evidence, yeah. um, citing that study that showed 40% of trans youth have attempted or thought about suicide. Which comes from that study, yeah, or survey rather, long debunked, that yeah. amounted to a, a self-selecting sample of thirty-seven people. Clearly pro-affirmation. He's been removed, but also they have clarified that they will not be making recommendations for sex trait modification in minors due to limited and variable evidence well yeah that quite a statement that wasn't it quite a statement i i, I attended the genspect um very useful um seminar god bless sterile o'malley she got together a panel at the last minute because as you remember this consultation they gave us about two minutes to complete it yeah um 
and there was um, a woman there speaking. She was a whistleblower at a gender clinic, and I, oh God, I've forgotten her name now, but she was brilliant on this. And she did she because I asked her how convincing she found this line that they they were running at the time as well about oh it's only adults, and she said to be very careful of them saying that because it's and we said this in the Game Ends Network response. It it does seem unlikely that that which is identified for adults is going to be incoherent or radically different from that which is proposed for children. Um, but, and also be careful because different countries have different understandings of what an adult and a child is. So mm. while I'm very happy to see that remark from the WHO, it does come with those caveats, I think. Well, I mean, and also linked to this is uh, WPATH as well, because yes. it would seem that the transgender guideline development group would be overly influenced by WPATH or the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, which used to be the Benjamin, uh, the Harry Benjamin Society for Gender something or other. Anyway, um, it's a ghoul show. It's an absolute ghoul show. This is the organization that says no minimum ages for surgery. It also charmingly says that a child can come in and ask to be castrated because they're a eunuch. These people are mad, absolutely mad. Well, yes, and that, that uh, recommendation about in, including eunuch identity came from a doctor who was actively involved in a castration fetishist site. You're kidding me. Oh, no, 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 no. And not just castration um, fetish, but child castration. Oh, hang on. Fetish. I remember it. This, this is the one Genevieve Gluck exposed, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. yep. and, yeah. Um, and this uh, past week in this country, someone has been convicted of grievous bodily harm for cutting the uh, penis off a man who asked him to do it. It's a man yeah, not I just convicted. He was he was then um, sentenced to a term of imprisonment by uh, his honour Judge Lucraft, the Recorder of London, who I think banged him up for sort of three, four years, something like that. One of them got a suspended sentence. But yeah, mm. horrible. Yep. Horrible, horrible stuff. Horrible, horrible but anyway, Anyway, that's uh, just one of the controversies which seems to have dragged WPATH membership down because uh, yeah. critical therapy anecdote and anecdote, critical therapy antidote reported on this. And they said mm. that WPATH global membership stood at 4,119 in January 2023. As of uh, 4th of January this year, it stood at 1,590. US wow. membership, yes, US membership was 3,104 in January 2023, compared with 1,234 in January 2024, i.e. currently comprising 78% of WPATH global membership. UK membership is minimal with 2% yeah. of total membership, although it appears to have experienced a similar proportionate decline from 93 members in January 2023 to 34 in January 2024. So that's a drop in membership of around 60% within the space of a year. Now, rumour has it, informed sources tell us, the grapevine mm. is alive with uh, hints and whispers that uh, a certain Dr. Marcy Bowers 
is being held responsible for this decline. Dr. Marcy Bowers, if you've ever watched I Am Jazz, the uh, program, long-running program about a teenager undergoing medical transition, he was re he was responsible for the uh, neo-vagina that was created for Jazz Jennings, which then led on to a host of complications. Ne nearly uh, killed the boy. Yes. Nearly yeah. killed the boy. He, he castrated that child. I think Excellancic calls that TV show um, Jazz's Waking Nightmare, and she's right. Mm, it's, absolutely. You know, yeah. How ironic that he, Marty Bowers, is now on the chopping block because his uh, fellow ghouls are now going to turn on him. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that'll, be, that'll be fun. I hope they do. And then I hope that he hits back and tells us, what is going on? Because something's gone on at WPATH for that. You don't get a numbers drop like this when this movement is surging in places like, I don't know, California and, you know, some of the more mental places on the planet. Something's gone on at WPATH. And I wouldn't be surprised if we if we find out pretty soon what it is. Well, a lot of things may have conspired to make this more likely other than uh, Dr. Marcy Bowers. But, you know, there's uh, critiques of the so-called Dutch protocol. <laughs> Yes. Um, originating from Michael Biggs, um, a raft of systematic reviews across Europe and also from the US state of Florida, which found little evidence of the benefit and some evidence of potential harm from prescribing puberty blockers for this patient group. Um, the increasingly loud voice of detransitioners. Yeah. Uh, and um, the fact that WPATH's uh, status as expert legal opinion has been rejected in a key case heard at the Sixth Circuit Appeal Court in the US. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the mm -hmm. one that um, Karadansky did a submission for, which was very good. She's a great lawyer, Kara. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was Sixth Circuit, wasn't it? Yeah, and this, this might now go up to the Supreme Court for further resolution which, as it has a lot of Trump appointees on it, is not going to be very liberal about this. Yeah, you get that in front of Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or um, Clarence Thomas. And that's only get, or Samuel Alito. And that's only going to go one way. Mm -hmm. Good. And of course, as we know, here in the UK, the CAS review has totally rejected the model of care that was that's promoted by WPATH. These WPATH guidelines won't actually apply to the UK because we have our own uh, nationwide um, guidelines uh, producing organisation in the form of NICE. Yeah, that's right. So, but this will, if they do issue these guidelines, these this, these will influence the way that uh, the shape of transgender healthcare in other countries that don't have the same oversight as we do here in the UK. And of yeah. course, you know, that certain bad faith actors are going to use these WPATH guidelines as a way of uh, sorry, are going to use these WHO guidelines. That's what I was talking about. Mm. Um, I said WPATH, I meant to say WHO, these WHO guidelines influenced by WPATH, yeah. Are going to are going to apply to countries uh, that don't have our regulatory mechanisms, but you also know that they're going to be weaponized by certain bad faith actors in order to try and interfere with the development of CAS compliant um, gender clinics. Well, we've had that this week, haven't we? We've had um, people falling out and you know getting um, 
getting into arguments. They can't even agree on the training in the new hubs. Hannah Barnes brilliantly has been all over this. Um, she now writes in the New Statesman, I think, and she did a very good article about this. The same New Statesman that had to counterbalance that by calling J.K. Rowling um, nasty. I don't know if you, you saw that. That's, yes, I did. Was yeah. one analysis of why they did that. Yeah. <sighs> Well, yes, Hannah Barnes uh, has written about this and pointed out that there is a lot of disagreements or there has been a lot of disagreement about the text of a training module for medical recruits to the new gender service. This was supposed to be developed by a uh, training materials project team at Great Ormond Street Hospital. But now, because of the long delay in this being recruit, being um, produced it's been outsourced to the academy of medical royal colleges this has caused a delay in the new gender clinic at least the new southern hub opening because of course without having some kind of induction materials for new staff they're not going to be able to operate very effectively And We've just this got entrenched ideologues here, haven't we, Clive? Sorry. Yes. Well, the te- the team of experts included uh, former Tavistock empl- employees because they were uneasy about the way that the service treated young people, but also other clinicians, also from the Stav- Tavistock, said to be opposed to the NHS's new approach for handling this client group with gender dysphoria. Some of them were people that the uh, ex-clinicians from JIDS had um, whistleblown about. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's not surprising that this fell apart and that that members have left uh, in the last year because of disagreements about this. And I suspect that there's been some deliberate sabotage by some of these gender cultists in the hopes that delaying the production of the teaching materials would uh, delay the gender clinics opening even more than they have been already. It's supposed to be opening in April this year Mm. because JIDS will be shuttered uh, by April this year. So there needs to be something to, um, to take its place. Uh, The guardian reported that, uh, some parents were turning to private healthcare because they're frustrated by the ongoing sort of uh, lack of clarity about where their children are going to be seen. Yeah. And, you know, the NHS waiting list continues to grow. Yeah. And one service that's recently been reviewed by CQC and will be providing both hormones and psychological support is Gender Plus, who we spoke about in a previous episode, episode 60. Now, this is a private provider of transgender healthcare, which uh, is uh, the clinical director for it is someone called Dr. Aidan Kelly. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know who you mean. Yeah. He was at the Tavistock for five years. He said that patients would be offered support that took into account gender, neurodiversity, sexual orientation, mental health in order to develop a care plan. All of this comes at a great cost to the uh, customers of this gender clinic. Now, previously, they were waiting for CQC clearance so that they could uh, prescribe hormones. Uh, That's been given now. 
So we're looking at a private clinic that won't come under the auspices of the NHS will be charging people for uh, the psychological assessment ses sessions and then for hormones and what have you. Um, this is going to pretty much be a kind of middle-class parents service isn't it yeah it's gonna be like a waitrose for hormone warehouse type thing isn't it it's gonna be mm. that market place to get trans your kid and um to aiden to dr aiden and his colleagues i i just say this i hope you have really very good insurance because we are going to watch you like hawks and please understand that particularly if you're on the nhs and you're determined to ignore cas um i've had enough of you ghouls and i'm actively turning my mind to what a private prosecution for gbh might look like with one of you lot i've had enough of mm. the lot of you and and do not think i am joking when i am saying that i spent 20 years prosecuting gbhs i know what i am doing mm. So I just I just issued that threat, if I may. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I it is a threat, and I want it to be understood as a threat. I think once gender all put all falls apart, which I predict happening very soon, this clinic is going to be facing some medical malpractice suits, and uh, because they're not cushioned by the NHS, it's going to come out of their own funds. So yes, one can also, of course, criminally prosecute a corporate entity. And the nice thing about doing that is that if you are convicted, I don't know, of a fraud offence or GBH or whatever, you can then use the provisions of the Proceeds of Crime Act to confiscate um, all of their assets. So I just throw that out there, if I may. Mm -hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. If it develops in a CAS compliant way, I'm not averse to that at all, but if it just produces, it's not going to be cast well, compliant. They're going to be handing out hormones like sweeties, aren't they, Clive? Otherwise, the if it's cast compliant, their business model doesn't work, does it? Well, it does because uh, they can mop up some of the waiting list. So people who've waited a long time for an assessment at JIDS or one of the new gender clinics um, could go to them instead. Yeah. So yes. it might be like a you know private medical firm that offers you know hip operations or cataracts or something like that. Yeah. Um, but we shall find out. We shall find out. I think Dr. Aidan Kelly is fully signed up to the affirmative approach. So, um, well, it'll be interesting. Sadly, I think that we might see a lot more wrecked bodies before it becomes interesting enough to the law courts. We shall see. Mm. We shall see. And we shall our see. Our, our job is to minimise that number. Mm. Yeah. Well, they're going to be a self-selected group, aren't they? They're going to have to be people who've got the money to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so perhaps they won't be able to mop up very much of the waiting list. Yeah. We'll have to uh -huh. wait and see. Well, I think that uh, we've covered all the stories we were going to cover today, Dennis. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention before we um, finish? I've probably forgotten 100,000. It's been such a busy week, Clive. I've probably forgotten all sorts of things I want to mention. I, I, there is only one thing to say, which is this. Um, the, the Gay Men's Network response to the Scottish um, conversion 
practices consultation should be up in about seven days ish um, unless I pull uh, an absolute sweat tomorrow. But I just want to say that in case anyone is holding off responding to the consultation, because as with all of our documents, if anyone does want to respond and want, you know, finds our response useful and wants to repurpose it or take statistics from it or whatever, um, I assure you that that will be out soon and up on our website and we'll tweet it out and all of that. So, yeah, I should probably mention that. But I think I think that's about it, Clive. OK, good. Well, that's us for this week, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, keep listening, keep sharing, and take out a paid subscription. That's the <laughs> best way to support the show so we can continue Griff, to produce Griff. this content. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I am, I am absolutely bathing in the millions that I get from this. <laughs> Little podcast with eight hundred subscribers. That's right. That's but. right. You're rolling. You're going you're, you're to be buying a yacht next. <laughs> uh, we are hoping to get Artie Morty back on the show, and he's going to be talking to us about a concept called kayfabe, which, mm -hmm. of course, you will all find out more about in due course. We've also possibly got lined up um, Neil Hanvey to come back and talk to us about the Scottish Conversion Therapy Bill, but that's a active. <coughs> excuse me, that's an active and ongoing story. So uh, that's penciled in at some point in the near future. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dennis, you've also been in contact with Sal Grover about Giggle versus Tickle, or Tickle that's versus right. Tickle. That's right. Yeah, she's doing a lot of media at the moment. Um, I think she just did trigonometry, and I would advise everyone that, you know, or I would recommend that. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't seen it yet myself, but Sal is always good, and those guys are good. And yeah, her case, I think, is April down in Sydney. Um, and and we will, um, yeah, we'll, we'll have her on to do a deep dive into the case once I've um, read some of the final submissions. Giggle, so, yeah, being, a, Giggle being a lesbian act. Uh, no, I think it's just, I think it's female only. Um, I think it's got a lesbian bit to it, but it's right. a more general female only sort of social app. Okay. Um, so lots to look forward to in the future. And uh, that's yep. us for today. So thank you, Mr. Dennis. I will see you next week. See you then. It's been great. Thank you. And goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Cheerio. Bye.